Hey, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we got all our lines wide open. Right now is the perfect time to call in. That it is. Whether you're sitting next to us in the studio or in town or even out of town across the country somewhere. There you go. You can get our questions answered live this morning. Especially if you get the right time zone straight That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you just dial 225, put that in front of a 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. We really wish you would call. We always appreciate hearing from folks all around the country. We do. And, and in you know, Baton Rouge as well. That's it. And should you happen not to want to be on the air or maybe think of something after we go off the air or maybe even next week at midnight, there you, go. you can always get your questions answered. You can go to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. It'll bring you to a form. You just fill out the form with your name and the complaint and type vehicle and everything and click the send button, and that's as easy as it gets. That gets it done. That'll send it right on over to me, and I generally check that. On the weekends, I try to check it twice a day. I'll Uh check it first thing in the morning. I check it last thing at night. Right. And... During the week, when at work, get check it a little bit more often because I'm sitting there at a computer all day long, so I might check it eight, nine times a day. So sure. It may not be very long at all if you wait for an answer. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way you handle all that. Let's go to our phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing Good. great, sir. Doing great. Look, I've got an 07 Cadillac. Front lights are bouncing. When I hit a bump, okay. they bounce off. Okay. okay. What is that? I understand they have boxes under the fender well that doesn't, the bulbs don't burn out. Okay. We're talking about the lights actually flick on and off when you yep. hit a bump? Okay. Yep. Yep. The All headlights. Right. Depending on what bulb is in that vehicle, sometimes there is a yeah. igni- the igniter box. Yeah, if it's got the... Like, it's like a, a, blue... a starter on fluorescent light. Right, sort the blue of. one. Yeah, they call it an igniter or transformer. They all call them different things, but those can go out. And they will do exactly what you're saying. Of course, I would make sure you got good uninterrupted power to it. You don't have a loose connection now, or something like that. Do they both go out or just one? One's totally out. Okay. And the other one, the other one bounces, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, like Lewis was saying, you're going to have to check your powers and your grounds first. Just to make sure you just don't have a loose sure. wire or something. Right. But, yeah, it sounds like those little transformers. And those things, if I'm not mistaken, are pretty ridiculously they are. expensive. It's just part of the technology they got on the newer vehicles. And the bulbs are also ridiculously priced. I want to say just the light bulbs about a hundred dollars. Well, and igniters probably three or four hundred dollars or more. Yeah. I don't. I've, I've got I've got two money pits. I got an 07 <laughs> and an 08. Well, you didn't learn a lesson on the first one. Uh, no, they were. I inherited them from my father. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Not a horrible vehicle or anything. It's just a high tech vehicle, like just about everything they're building nowadays. It's got very expensive components on it. And some of those you have to pull almost the whole front bumper off right. just to get to them. It's not like a matter uh, of just taking the light it's, out. Yeah, it's not something I'd start throwing parts at yeah, by yeah. no means. I mean, I'd have it checked by a professional that knows what he's doing and can lead you in the right direction. Yeah, okay. You all have a guy that works on oh, Cadillac? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, course. we can do that. That's not a problem. Because I spent $1,000 on putting an alternator in this one. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I can I, believe it. It's crazy, man, what costs to fix these newer cars. And, of course, we harp on that every single week. People say, you sound like you don't like them. I say, well, I like them. They make me a lot of money, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> and see, Cadillac, Cadillac used to be the, the technology leader. And when GM designed something, they put it on the Cadillac first. Right. And it's kind of come all around now. 
all the vehicles are kind of getting the same technology that Cadillac's getting now. Right. So even your base models still have a lot of yeah, a lot of new they're technology. They're all pretty loaded up, but the Cadillac's got a little more. It in does. Them. The more stuff, the more stuff to break, like everything else. But that's just the way it is. Kind of kind of vehicle it is. Yeah, it's a money pit. Yep. <laughs> Aren't most of them? Oh, yeah. All right, guys. All right, I John. appreciate Thanks, it. All man. right, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. And we're going right back to our line with Dave. Good morning, Dave. Morning. Yes, sir. Well, I got a 2014 Chevy Captiva with the Ecotec four-cylinder. Okay. And we're just got 50,000 on it. I was curious, when should I change that Dexos orange uh, cooling out? Well, five years is the the killer on it. You don't, And I don't like even go five years. I generally change around four because I feel it's pretty depleted, and I'm going to have to put you on hold. I can't hear all the background noise. But you don't want to go past four years, in my opinion. And if it's a 14 now, you're two years old, so you got a little bit more. The, the miles don't make much difference. In other words, the, the coolant doesn't care if it's going around or just sitting there. It depletes over time. So don't go past four years on it, and you, you'll be just fine with that. And when you change it, you're going to use the same stuff. Dexcool. Dexcool with, with distilled water. Mix 50-50. Yeah, and if... The best thing, if you don't want to do it yourself, bring it to a shop that will drain the engine block, take the block plug out, drain it all out, and then refill it and do some it properly. Of, some of those block plugs you can't get to. I mean, they're hidden behind a starter right. or something like that. So, I mean, if you can drain the radiator and get most of it out right. by taking the lower hose off, you're going to drain the top of the motor right. out. You'll get probably 60, uh, 70 percent yeah. out you of do it. it. If you do it soon enough, before it's completely depleted, that'll be adequate. Right, it won't be a problem. one thing to remember, too, they say five years on the first fill. All subsequent fills will be three years. So you don't want to go five years on the second because you never get 100% out, and everything on the car is new when the car is new. The hoses are new, the radiator is new, the heater core is new, the engine engine block, block, everything's new. Whereas when you replace the coolant, you're only replacing most of the coolant. So that's why it reverts to three years thereafter. But good question. That didn't get the whole thing. Maybe you can call them back on landline. I just had so much noise I couldn't hear you on that one. Kind of a topic I wanted to get into just a little bit this morning. Of course, with cold weather gripping sure. most of the nation, and we're in probably the high 30s, low 40s here, which we consider very, very cold. But right, course, for our climate. I mean, yeah, for a lot our... of people are probably laughing at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They'd be swimming. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, 40 degrees. Yeah. But cold weather has many effects on a it vehicle. Does. And the best way to deal with that is to be prepared for it before it happens. Sure. Kind of Jack Kennedy, you don't said you don't fix the roof when it's raining. That's right. And you be prepared for it. One of the first things, of course, is coolant slash antifreeze. And ironically, antifreeze, as far as freezing, is not much of a problem because it remains glycol no matter what. If it's 20 years old, it's still glycol. Right. And glycol still is going to offer freeze protection. So it's not that it's going to lose the freeze protection. The engine's going to freeze so well, much. Well, especially in our climate. Right. You know, it barely gets down to 32 here, sometimes in the upper 20s, but and it doesn't last for a couple hours at a time. Right. Now, maybe up north in Canada or something right. like that, there's, you know, a big change in climate. So you'd have to go about it a different way. But, yeah, like you were saying. Yeah, freeze is not such an issue. But what is a major issue is the corrosion protection. Correct. Because coolant does more than just protect from freezing it helps to cool the engine and it also protects from corrosion which that's so important now because back 
several years ago, we had copper or brass radiators. We had cast, cast iron, iron engine blocks, cast right. iron cylinder heads. The weakest point of that system back then was probably the heater core. Yeah, and even that was copper. And yeah, so most it, of them you were. You really didn't get, you didn't have the dissimilar metals, and you didn't have all those sorts of things that created issues. So even if the old coolant got real, real rusty, you could take a garden hose, wash out the rust, and put it back in, you were probably going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But today you got paper thin aluminum components in there, and when that pH on the coolant drops below seven, in fact, when it gets to seven, you're it's in trouble. Right. When it drops below seven, it becomes corrosive. It starts tacking this metal, and it can eat holes through some really, really expensive parts. Right. It turns into aluminum oxide. Yeah. What aluminum does when iron rusts, it becomes ferrous oxide, uh-huh. which is rust. Well, when aluminum corrodes, it becomes aluminum, aluminum oxide. oxide, which is an abrasive. Sure. So you get a double whammy. Not only is it abrading the and, and corroding the metals, but you have this abrasive going around the cooling system, which is wearing these metals from the inside. Correct. Things like a heater core where that water changes direction several times flowing through the core, and it's flowing pretty fast. And it's not a gradual change. It's, a, it's an immediate 180-degree change. Right. So when that water hits that first curve, right, it tends to start digging into that. Well, that's right. That curve, and it'll eat, eat a hole in it pretty quick. Almost like sandblasting. Is exactly. The, the abrasives in the coolant that's flowing through there. So it doesn't take very, very long to eat a hole through a heater core. Mm-hmm. Now, that's bad enough because a heater core probably costs $100 or so. But the problem with most heater cores is they're buried inside the evaporator case underneath the dash. Correct. And when they built this car, they put the evaporator and they put the heater core in a plastic case, two parts, hooked them together with screws or whatever bolted them to the firewall, and then put the dashboard on top of it. Exactly. It's not like the cars back in the day that the dashboard was welded into the car. Right. It was part of the structure. And you could reach underneath and, you and could get to the... the heater core box was designed to be taken out right. without taking a dash out. But today's vehicles, like Lewis was saying, all that stuff is bolted in on top of each other. Right. And that heater core box is the first thing that goes in. Probably one of the very first things, and they put the dash in. Of course, then they put the consoles and the seats and the steering wheel and all that, sound system. So the point is, when it has to be removed, there is an awful lot of componentry that's going to have to come out of the vehicle even to get to it, to gain access to it. And that equals labor cost. That equals a very high labor cost because it can be anywhere from 8 to 14 to 16 hours on some vehicles at roughly $100 an hour in most shops. So it can get very expensive very, very quick. Not only that, but most of them are inside of a case with the evaporator core, which means the air conditioning has to be discharged, Correct. recharged. Some cars have a real problem with evaporator cores, so you say, okay, well, while we're here, we might as well change the evaporator core. We'll throw well, another three or four hundred dollars there. Exactly, you so, two grand. Yeah, you get real expensive real fast. And if you don't solve the problem, you'll be you doing just, it again. You'll be doing it again. That's very, very common. We see that a lot with Ford trucks, where they had some trouble with electrolysis on those trucks. Evaporator core goes out at relatively low mileage. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody goes in, they change the evaporator core. It lasts about three to six months, and then it's leaking again. Right. Well, if you almost got a bad one. So go through it all again, tear it all out, change it again. Three to six months, it's bad again. And what it is, you've got electrolysis going on in this system, which is the absolute devil to treat. That very, nobody, very difficult. That no one has diagnosed yet. Yeah, and if you don't diagnose it, it's even worse because it just ravishes all this metal sure. and eats it up very, very quickly. Left untreated, it'll eat up the radiator, eat up the head gaskets, maybe eat up the cylinder heads and, on the vehicle. And by electrolysis, what we mean is it creates a small voltage. Yes, yeah, a battery. It, it turns right. to battery, and you have an anode and a cathode, and it's consuming the metal, uh, the dissimilar metals, to make voltage. 
You can take a voltmeter, drop it into the neck of the radiator, into the coolant, touch the fluid, and touch the oil into the ground of the engine or the ground of the battery, uh-huh. and you'll and see you it producing about a half a volt. Right. You know, what you've got is a great big battery consuming your metal in your vehicle, and usually the heater core being it's the thinnest now. That usually that's goes usually fast, the first thing. Fastest. It's generally the smallest area and one of the thinnest parts of the body. Small physical area equals less metal to dissipate the Correct. charge. Radiators are also very, very thin. They are. But they're physically much larger, so it just takes a little bit longer on that. So that's kind of the second part of the whammy. Right. (laughs) We're going to talk some more about that and everything else as soon as we get back from this first break. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. Ho, ho, ho! Lewis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. Couldn't be easier. Give us a call. We'll get you a personal answer. That we will. There you go. <laughs> we were talking just a little bit about cold weather and the effects that it has on cars and getting ready for it before, uh-huh. it, before it actually gets here. Gives you a problem. Well, you don't want to wait until you have water dripping on the floor of your car. Right. To deal with this, because like our first caller, our second caller, I'm sorry, he is going to proactively replace the coolant in his car. Uh-huh. And that's the way you do this. I mean, you can have that coolant replaced. You have to pay somebody to do it for a fraction of what it's going to cost you to deal with the to, problems right. of not doing it. So it's something you want to do. And most of the newer cars will go about five years, they say, on the initial fill. And I like to do it around four. Just right. I don't want to let it totally deplete before I try to get it out of there, because I know I can't get 100% of it out. Exactly. So if what I'm leaving in there is not 100% depleted, I'm way ahead of the game. And the cost differential is just negligible. So I like to replace that around four years, even though they say five. But the worst thing, we get lots and lots of folks who come in. The car is eight, nine, ten years old. It's never, never been, been changed. done. Right. And in many cases, they're already having problems. So and even though you change it then, it's better than not changing it. But it should have been done. You can't undo what's gone before. Exactly. It's weakened a lot of components. Even if it's not leaking yet, it's it probably got be. corrosion in the system. So you're not as well off as if you had never gotten there in the first place. So mm-hmm. one of those proactive things. Now, all that said, you have to be a bit careful, even if you take this to a professional, because not all professionals really are what they should be. Right. A lot of guys out there still filling radios up with garden hoses and not Go, mixing, not mix, pre-mixing the coolant, right? Not putting distilled water, using universal coolants. I mean, all these sorts of things that go on for any number of reasons. So, not each and everybody is as professional as they should be. 
And a lot of people say, well, I'll go to a dealership. Well, that doesn't guarantee anything. That's right. Because I've seen an awful lot of cars come to us from dealerships, the coolant improperly mixed. Right. Not completely changed. pH on it low. We had one come in, and the pH on it was so high because what they had done is they just dumped coolant into it. They didn't put water with it. Right. I've and seen people do that before. Because some's good doesn't mean more's better. <laughs> it's supposed to be a fix. There's a reason there's a mix. That's right, because the water does the cooling and the coolant does the protecting. Correct. So it needs half and half in this region, half one, half the other, pre-mixed before you dump it into the engine. I like to pre-mix it. That way you know it's mixed. And right. You, you know when you put it in, it's already mixed. And some engines, it will not mix. Some it will, but some it will not because there's no flow through the engine itself. There's only flow through the cylinder heads. Uh-huh. Like some of your Honda products, for instance, if you ever had the head off of a Honda, you, look, you can look down into the area and see the water jackets around the cylinders. There's no flow there. It's just like a container. Right. And so if you dump that coolant in, it's going to go down to the lowest point, which is down in those cylinder walls, and it's just going to sit there. And the water's going to go around the cylinder head. Mm-hmm. So you've just basically done absolutely no good you're going to overheat the cylinders because you have no water to cool them and you're going to corrode the cylinder head because you have no coolant to protect it so you always want to pre-mix that before dumping it into the engine i noticed with uh honda's new blue coolant mm-hmm. it's like it comes pre-mixed right to help, that, prov- to help prevent that well, that prevents that problem because it's already pre-mixed so you don't have to worry about that issue that's the the blue coolant right the blue honda and oh. same thing with the pink Toyota. Toyota, right. You had the long life, which was red, and you have the super long life, which is pink. Which is... And more and more of the manufacturers are going to that simply because people would not use distilled water and would not pre-mix the coolant. Mm -hmm. And it's very good because it does it for you. The only problem is you're paying for water. (laughs) Half of the coolant you would be paying for. It costs almost as much as the original concentrate did, but you're only getting half as much product. Correct. So it takes twice as much to do the job. So... I know when it first came out, the parts guy said, oh, yeah, it's cheaper than the other. I said, well, how's it cheaper? <laughs> said, well, the other stuff's like $22. This is only 19 I said, yeah, but I'm only getting half as much. Exactly. It's twice as much to do the job. But, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. They, they look at it as a full gallon. It's yeah. not a gallon yeah. of concentrate. Yeah. Both of them are a gallon, but the other one makes two gallons. Right. So. <laughs> Let's go back to our farms. Bruce, good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How yes, are you doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. I heard you say on the air about electrical parts that you can't buy new parts to put on a, to change. And is that right, or did I hear you wrong? Well, there are several parts that you can't really buy new from the dealership. Like, for instance, most alternators and starters are not new. They're remanufactured. Just because the EPA, there's a lot of really volatile, caustic chemicals that go into electrical manufacturing, so they want to remanufacture that stuff. Same thing with a transmission. Generally, you're not ever going to get a new transmission. There's a few new ones on the market, but generally it's going to be a remanufactured or an engine. It's going to be a remanufactured engine. Now, that being said, we have had no problems with them virtually. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very, very good. I mean, they're factory remanufactured to factory specs. We don't have a lot of trouble with them. But the only way to get, say, new transmission is generally buy a new car. And same thing with starters, alternators, and lots and lots of other components. Now, there are some imported knockoffs that they claim are new now but what that is they took an old worn out starter looked at and said yeah we can make one like that real cheap so they built a new one those in my opinion are not as good as the remanufactured ones that you get same thing with drive axles right uh, like we've noticed CV a axles. big influx a big influx of uh, cv axles yeah. on the market imported cv axles they're not as good as the remanufactured oem axles were no uh, see all righty and I know of a, a couple of uh, shops in here in Baton Rouge that rebuild starters and alternators. There are. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever dealt with them? 
I have. And We've had customers deal with them. Yeah. And we've used, you know, we, we take the part off and give it to the customer, and he'd take it across town, have it rebuilt, and bring right. it back to us. We will use those sometimes when, say, it's an older car that a starter is no longer available for, <laughs> or some kind of a special application that you can't normally get a factory remand starter for. Or you end up with one of them cheap, new, knockoff, offshore starters is the only thing available. Yeah. Which we'll take one off is. and send it out have it rebuilt the problem with that is when you have any local rebuilder the quality of the product is 100 percent under control of the rebuilder and you don't have the time to go and investigate each and every one of these guys like you would say with a name brand product that you have a better chance of getting a good part not to say that it's not a great rebuild but it's just there's a little more variation there and it's hard to check and test for us it's easy for us to buy a known good product right because the reason i asked you I've got an 09 Camry, and the alternator quit on it two, three months ago. Okay. Well, I had to have it changed again. Uh, it was under warranty. Uh-huh. But uh, it doesn't seem fair to the uh, the mechanic. He's having to do the second job for free. That's correct. That is correct. And it's not fair, but it's just the way it is. Just the Yeah, I don't know where he got the in. part. Yeah, I didn't buy the part. He did. Well, and see, oh. that's why... We are so insistent on using quality parts because I can't afford to keep changing these things out. I had a fellow one time who came to me and I, for a front end alignment, I think, I got this car and it went click, 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 click. I said, well, it won't start. He said, well, keep trying. It'll start. And I said, man, why don't you change the stars? Well, I've changed it about five times. And he told me where he got it from. not going to mention name on there. But I said, why don't you just buy a good starter? He said, well, these are cheap. I said, well, what's your time worth, man? What's getting <laughs> yeah. stranded worth? Or the know? aggravation. Well, uh, or the aggravation. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, that's cheap and that's cheap. <laughs> well, and the other day we had one come in. Guy had a brand new, cheap, rebuilt aftermarket starter. The nose of the starter broke off and tore the flywheel up. Sure did. So he paid me 1000 bucks to pull the transmission out and change the flex plate. And I still had to put a starter on it because that one was in pieces. And it hadn't been mm. on there a month. So you can have mm. a lot of collateral damage that... You really can't. Yeah, it's unforeseen. Yeah, unforeseen. So, yeah, I can't afford cheap parts, man. Cheap parts just cost way too much for me. Well, I agree with that. And uh, one other question I'll let you go. About the, I guess almost everything comes with a donut spare in them now. Spare uh-huh. car. Very, virtually, so, yeah. Most of your cars do. A few Toyotas. Some of, your, some of the Toyota yeah. SUVs still have a full-size Right, spare. the pickups have a full-size. Uh, can those things be replaced? Well, yeah. <laughs> they do sell them as an assembly. The wheel and tire comes together as an assembly. They're pretty expensive, and they're discontinuing most of them. So we're having a real problem where they've been discontinued, and the old one's coming apart. And about all you can do is try to go to a junkyard, but, again, it's probably going to be about the, same the kind mode. of shape as that one. Right. But, yeah, that's getting to be a real problem. Yeah, all right. Well, that pretty much answers my question. All right, Mr. Bruce. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. I'm not aware of anyone that is actually making a tire that goes on that There realm. is a handful of them, but they're few and far between, only a limited number of sizes, and they're very expensive. Gotcha. Hey, got to take one more little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters, and I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to forty years, partner. Go! 
40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour. We sure appreciate you spending your Sunday Saturday morning with us. Brian, <laughs> who is me, <laughs> sitting right here just waiting for you to give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You got a comment or a question or anything automotive-related, you can right. give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking a little bit about cold weather and some of its effects on cars and getting the car ready and one thing and another. And, of course, we talked about coolant and its effects on a car. Now, another real prevalent thing that we see this time of year, and those are dead batteries. Sure. And the reason being, the battery during the summer, a battery is optimized for about 70 to 80 degrees. That's what it's designed to operate at. Right. And during the summer, underhood temperatures can easily exceed, in this area, 120 degrees or Easily. More. So what happens with any chemical reaction when you add heat, you're going to accelerate the reaction. Okay. So you've got a battery that produces 100% at, say, 80 degrees. Well, when it goes to 120 degrees, it's running at about 125, 130% efficiency, which is using up the lead and the acid and stuff in the battery much faster. So that is what kills the battery, is this heat in the summer. It's using it up really, really quick. But because it's operating at, say, 125%, it can cover. let's say it's diminished by 25%, well, it's still got 100% of, of the power it needs. Sure. But now let's go the first the cold day. Now what happens, because it's optimized for 80, the temperature outside is 40 degrees, well, now maybe it's only operating at 50% of its efficiency, which if it was a good, solid battery, it could probably still deal with that because it's oversized to a degree. Mm-hmm. But it was only about 75% of that available to start with because of the damage from the summer. Well, now you'd cut that in half again, and you got a dead battery. Sure. That's why we always say the heat kills the battery, and the cold reveals it. That's why batteries tend to show up this time of year, and everybody says, well, the cold killed the battery. Well, no, actually, the heat during the summer killed the battery. It's just the cold reveals the problem for you. Now, another big, big problem we see, especially with folks who don't use their cars a lot, and that is the battery never gets fully charged. And when a battery sits partially discharged, that is one of the things that leads to sulfation, which is the number one killer of batteries. Mm-hmm. When you discharge a battery, sulfur from the sulfuric acid forms on the plates, which is detrimental to the battery. When you charge it, if you do it quick enough, the sulfur goes back into the water and becomes sulfuric acid again, and the plates become lead again. But if it's remain, allowed to remain on there, it bonds won't come off with charging. And this is where if you don't fully recharge the battery almost immediately, you start to lose capacity on the battery. Every time it's discharged, you lose capacity. And if it's not immediately recharged, it's sort of a cumulative effect. Right. It's, it's actually designed, the battery is designed to do that. It, it charges and discharges to a certain rate. Right. By the, the vehicle's charging system. It has now, to be 100% recharged exactly, immediately. Exactly. And the problem is charging systems today are much bigger than they used to be, but relative to the load, they're much smaller than they used to be. Correct. For instance, back several years ago, you may have had a 40-amp alternator on your car. 
but the car probably only drew about 20 amps. So you so had you about were... 50% extra capacity there to charge the battery and do what it needed to do. Correct. Cars today will often have a 100, 110 amp alternator, but the load will probably be 95 to 100 amps. Sure. So you have between 5 and 10% additional capacity to charge that battery. Now, where I'm going with all this is it takes time, and a motor has to be turning at speed in order to charge. For instance, a lot of people think because they don't drive their car very much, they just go out in the driveway, crank it up, and let it sit there and run, it's going to charge the battery. Well, that's not going to happen because at an idle, that alternator is only charging, turning about 600 RPM. All right, it's not turning fast enough. Right. A 110-amp alternator at 600 RPM is probably only putting out about 60 or 70 amps. Sure. If you speed it up to 2,000 RPM, now then it's putting you can out get the 110 amps. But it's putting out, say, 60 amps, and the car is pulling 70 amps. You're actually discharging run. the battery. You're sitting there discharging the battery further sure. by letting it sit in the driveway and run. So that is not an answer to the problem of not driving the car. The ultimate answer is to drive the car more. And exactly. where that is not possible, you might be able to get an auxiliary charger of some sort very important there, you don't want to get just a regular old battery charger because if you overcharge a battery, you're doing you, damage. You're also damaging it. Correct. It can only be overcharged a no, limited number of times before you can permanently damage the battery. There are a lot of slow chargers or maintenance chargers mm -hmm. on the market now that do a real good job. Right. Some of them you plug in the electricity of the house and hook to the battery and it keeps a charge on it. Some of them have a solar panel. That's right. You just kind of stick on the windshield and then hook the rest of the component to the battery. That's right. And the sun keeps the charge up on the battery. Mm -hmm. It uses the sun for power instead of electricity. Right, and it doesn't need a whole lot because in this area, we probably have 10 to 12 hours of sunlight even this time of year. So it can do a little trickle charge all day long. Mm -hmm. It can build that battery up and maintain it pretty well. And that's the key. After you get it built back up, you need to maintain it. Right. And a lot of those charges will take... Once they get a, they sense a full charge on the battery, right. then they'll turn down and they'll just do a maintenance right. charge to the battery. Or they'll just cut off or and cut then off come back on when Correct. it's necessary. They can also change their charge rates. For instance, if they sense that the battery is sulfated, that means it's got sulfur buildup, they're going to come in at a one charge rate to try to knock the sulfur off, then shift to another charge rate to avoid overcharging. That's where anything that's got a computer chip in it can generally do that. Correct. The old battery chargers that just had a transformer. And right, it was just a plug, and you kept the... A rectifier. All it did is it converted 120 volts in the wall, or 110 volts in the wall, down to 12 volts DC. The rectifier converted from AC to DC, and it just put out 30, 40 amps all the time. Those were fine on the older cars. And it was up to you to maintain them, too. You could still overcharge a battery with them if, you didn't, main, if you didn't keep an eye on them. And so you got to be very, very careful with that. And you don't have to pay a tremendous amount of money, I would think, for... Probably 30, 40 bucks, you could buy a pretty nice charger, maybe less than that. I don't know. Depends. But read the literature that comes with it. Just make sure it says something about solid state control uh -huh. or internal processor or variable charge rates. I know a lot of your your antique guys, guys that have antique right. or classic cars that they don't drive very much, mm -hmm. they have a, there's a, a few companies out there that cater to, the, to right. those types of environments. Mm -hmm. And those are pretty good for just all around charging on any vehicle. That's right. And we have a lot of customers that maybe they're retired and they just don't use their cars that much. Many times, it's a husband and a wife. and They don't use both cars. They both want right. a car, which I understand. One day, they might both want to go somewhere. But between the two of them, they may only put maybe a couple hundred miles a month on their sure. car. Sure. And they continually have problems with batteries. Generally, a very good battery will last about a year. 
in their car because it's constantly in a state of discharge. Uh-huh. And so even when they charge it, it'll last a while, but it shortens the life battery drastically. They're generally going to get about a year out of a very right. good battery. Whereas if you were driving it every day with you the same battery, you could probably three get three years out right. of it. And at three years, most batteries are pretty well gone. They are. They'll, just, you know, they'll still start the car. they still got eight or ten volts in them. But right. the computer system in the car needs to see 12 volts. That's right. what everything is based on right. is that 12-volt voltage. And when you get a PCM that starts seeing lower voltage mm-hmm. than that, it starts doing some crazy it things. It do all kinds of weird stuff. And I just think it's very cost-effective. When the battery hits three years, just take it out, get rid of it, and put a new battery in well, it. It's a whole lot cheaper than a tow bill. That's right. Plus a battery. Well, if you, if a battery costs $90 and you change it at three years, it costs you $30 a year, $33 a year. Right. Uh, you know, $30 a year. You push it out four years, you know, what's the difference? Uh, yeah, not costs, much. Yeah, it costs you about 20, $25 a year. So, And if you happen to have a record bill in, in between. 120 bucks for a record bill you, if you, you don't damage it. your car towing it. So, exactly. Yeah, plus the inconvenience. So, yeah, yeah. It, it always seems that the battery goes dead in the most unopportune time. Well, on the way to your daughter's wedding or something. Yeah, in the rain. And, <laughs> in the rain. Yeah, it's 30 yeah, degrees outside. That's right. It's just when it gets three years old, just Go do yourself a favor, change it out, get a new battery, and that way you're ready for whatever comes along. Exactly. Let's go to our phone line with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Good morning. You taught me two, one thing this morning. I, my boat, I keep it in a building, uh-huh. so my batteries seem to last a long time because they stay cool all the time. You know? mm-hmm. Yes. And that, and also I wanted to say that I got a battery tender on both my batteries in it, in it and I, you made me think, so I got up and I cut it off and cut it back on, mm-hmm. and it will go back to charging. It seemed like it gets a surface charge, as it my does. daddy used to say. Mm-hmm. So you make it recognize what's going on, and it brings them it seems to help anyhow. They they both charging right now. Yeah, it'll do that. It'll charge up. It kind of desulfation mode. That'll last a few minutes or up to a, a half an hour, however it thinks it needs, and it'll cut back to a different rate to maintain it. Right. One of them will cut back before the other one does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all I wanted. I just want to share that. Okay. All right. Thanks, Thank man. You. You know, the thing about a marine battery is it's designed to be discharged at a higher rate than a car battery is. Well, that's a different type of technology. A marine battery is what they call a deep cycle battery, which is different. A car battery is a cranking battery. Correct. A cranking battery produces a huge amount of amperage, but it can't be deep cycled. A a deep cycle type battery is designed, it only produces maybe 75% as much peak amperage, but it can do it over a longer period of time. The difference is the size of the plates and the amount of acid inside the battery. Now, you wouldn't want a deep cycle battery in a car because, number one, it can't produce enough amps to crank the car. And, number two, it would never get charged completely back up because even though it takes longer to discharge, it also takes longer Longer to to recharge. Correct. So that's why they don't use deep cycle batteries in automobiles. They use them on marine applications or stuff where you would have a battery maybe running something with a little generator to charge Mm -hmm. it, things like that. They can be discharged more than a cranking battery and will recover more. But it takes much longer to charge them, and they're not ever going to produce the same amount of crank. Right. You have what they call reserve capacity, which a deep cycle battery will be real high, called RC. But what they call CA, which is your cranking, cranking amps, amps, or CCA, which is cold cranking amps, are going to be much lower on that battery. Now, that's another thing. When you replace a battery, you want to go back with the exact same group number that you take out. Correct. Because people say, well, this one's only got 800 cranking amps or cold cranking amps. This one has 1,000, so it's a better battery. No, it's not better. It's a different battery. Right. If it's got 1,000 cold cranking amps, it has less reserve capacity because as one goes up, the other goes goes down. down. So putting a higher cold cranking amp, that is one measurement. And because some's good doesn't mean more is better. You want the right amount on there. 
so that if you go and put a much, much larger battery than what the car calls for in cold crank amps, you've lost reserve capacity. Which is what you need under in different, certain, different, different certain circumstances. Certain circumstances. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> One last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. It takes a cool cat to go on, on the Southern Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years. Wow, you know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us in the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Cherry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Give us calls, 291-6901. Still got plenty of time. We'll get you an answer and try to help you out. That we do, we and were, that we will. There you go. We were talking about cold weather and the effect of cold weather on cars. And, you know, the third topic that I would like to mention, because we see this every year, about this time of year, we start to see a real spike in the number of automatic transmission problems that mm-hmm. vehicles have. And that's not, again, for just coincidence or something. What happens with a transmission is that when the fluid is not replaced in it, the additives in that fluid start to go away. The fluid starts to thicken up and get just contaminants and what have you in it. Now, during the summer, the viscosity thins out because of the heat, the heat and right. everything works okay-ish. Maybe you got a little bit of a slip, a little harsh engagement, but you don't pay too much attention to it. Now, when the cold weather comes, a couple of things happen. Number one, the engine idles up much higher when it's cold. It does. You might cover. notice when you start the car in the summer, the RPM are around 600 RPM, somewhere in there. In the winter, they might be 12 to 1,500 RPM. Right, because the outside temperature is actually the inside temperature of the engine. Right. So at 90 degrees outside, the vehicle, the engine is already at 90 degrees. That's right. And it doesn't take but maybe two minutes to warm it up to operate in temp, well, whereas it, in the wintertime, the temperature is around 50, right. which is or 30 or whatever. Or whatever it is. Basically, that's the same temperature as the engine, so it takes longer to heat it up. It does, and the fuel in the engine doesn't atomize well at when it's that cold. temperature, so it can't idle very efficiently. So what they do is the computer automatically raises the idle speed of the engine, rather. Whereas before it was a carburetor, it had a choke on it. Right, and it double fires the injectors and all that. The point is, with the engine running much faster now, when you reach over and drop it into reverse to back out of your driveway, the engine is running much faster, so you got a much higher shock load. If the fluid is thick and maybe the filters restrict it, it's already boosting the pressure up. Wham! Something breaks inside the transmission. Uh-huh. And it's not that a perfectly healthy transmission with it, good fluid would do this, but a marginal transmission, maybe high mileage, maybe got 150,000 miles on it, 
Now you got a double whammy because the engine speed is accelerated, the fluid is thicker, the pressure is much higher. You slam it in gear, and bam, something breaks. Well, correct. Now you're into a transmission rebuild. So the thing is, there's a couple of things you can do to prevent that. Number one is to change the transmission fluid correctly before it gets to that state properly. Now that doesn't mean a flush. That means a proper transmission service. If it's got a replaceable filter, drop the pan, replace the filter, replace the fluid. Do yourself a favor. Cut that filter open. Mm-hmm. Take a look inside. See what's trapped inside that filter. That's right. Because it's like a big sock. The fluid comes in a big hole and goes through the sock, and what comes in goes with out the fluid goes out through it, and what comes in with the fluid gets caught in the sock. Right. It's all in there, so it sort of like gives you a sort of a glimpse into the future. Exactly. If you open this filter up, and there's a bunch of metal in side of half it. a snap ring or yeah. a piece of clutch doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna fail tomorrow but it, you know that you're 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 due. You need to make plans right if you don't like the car it might be a good idea to trade while it's still running Could be. <laughs> if you like the car then you need to start saving a few shekels so that when this thing breaks you got the money to fix it and it's exactly. not unexpected for you but if it does not have a filter, which say a Honda or a lot Some of, of your new GM, GM cars, products, right? they don't have a pan, they don't have a serviceable filter. It's in. got a drain plug. You drain the fluid out. It has a filter, what they call a screen, but it's up it's inside, inside the transmission. The fil- transmission. And to get to it, you have to take the transmission out of the vehicle and break the case apart right. to get to this filter. Which is not practical. Correct. So the next best thing to do is do a double drain and fill on that unit. Mm-hmm. Get it hot, drain the fluid out, put the plug back in. Put you some new fluid in it, take it and go drive it for 10, 15 minutes. Right. Come back and do it again. Immediately. Immediately. And what that does is that catches all that trash and stuff is suspended in that fluid. When you open that drain plug, it all comes running out. Right. And you can drain most of that trash out. Get a lot of a lot of it out of there. Stop from filtering that filter up. While that is not a perfect service, it's not as good as replacing the filter would be. It's just not practical to try to replace the filter. If you got to take the transmission out, take it apart. Correct. So this is just the best we can do. Now, what you want to do on those kinds of transmissions, if I owned one of those vehicles, I would probably be servicing it about every 30,000 miles. I was going to say 25 to 30, yeah. Right. You don't want to wait until the fluid is completely contaminated because you're not going to get 100% of it out of there, and you're not going to be able to deal with the filter if it gets restricted. If the filter restricts on one of those types of transmissions... The unit has to come out. Right. You're into pretty much a rebuild on the transmission. Right. So the point is you want to get into it and get it corrected before it becomes a problem. Exactly. On a normal transmission, you can generally go about 50,000 miles on most of the newer stuff because almost all of it has synthetic fluid of one type or another. Mm -hmm. Your Toyotas are going to have WS, world standard. Most of your GMs are going to have Dexron 6, which is synthetic. Your Fords are going to have either Merc 95 or SP or uh, LV or one of the other synthetic fluids. Chrysler's have ATF plus 4. You have to go and make sure you get the right fluid, even if you're dealing with one vehicle, because one vehicle may have... Three different fluids. That's right. On the well, market. Especially Ford products. Yeah, Ford has four. Oh, I don't know more than that. They've, they've know, got five or six different fluids. I know they've got co- Mercon Premium, Mercon LV, SP5, and then I think there's a couple more right. in there. I don't so know why they use so many different fluids, but they do. Different units. So your pickup 2010 Ford may not take the same as your Focus 2010 Ford. Correct. So even if it's the same manufacturer, same year model, does not mean it takes the same fluid. And you, need, you cannot 
interchange those fluids. You need to look in your owner's manual. It will say in your owner's manual, and a lot of times it will say on the dipstick. It'll repeat if, on the dipstick. If it has a dipstick. If it has a dipstick. A lot of your units do not have a dipstick anymore. Well, more and more, the newer transmissions do not have dipsticks. Correct. And for whatever reasons, they say it's because the need to have a perfectly accurate amount of fluid in the uh-huh. transmission is so high now that they can't rely on a dipstick, which doesn't really make I, that, much that, sense that, to yeah, me. me either. I think, I think that's, it's kind of part of they don't want anybody messing with them anymore. That's the cover and, story anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cars, as we've talked about many, many times, are basically designed to last about 100,000 miles now. Right. And, pretty, and they'll you, pretty much last 100,000 miles. Even if you don't service it, it will probably last 100,000 miles. It's just that after that, you're going to be probably throwing the car away. Sure. I can't Whereas, afford to drive one 100,000 miles yeah, and get rid of it. i got to change mine around 50 because I can't afford that extra 50,000 miles of wear and tear. I'm not going to throw the car away at 100. Exactly. I'm going to keep mine for 300, so I can't follow the same manufacturer recommendations. And people say, well, why do they do that? And I said, well, if you know any engineers, just ask them. If I ask you how often do I need to do something or what size do I need to do this job, they're going to ask me questions. Uh-huh. Their answer is going to depend on the, the, the answers the they answers get. To that, to that question, if I say the car has to last 100,000 miles, well, yeah, do this. Mm-hmm. It has to last 300,000. Well, well, we do need this. to do this. All right. right. They're going to have a different answer. Unfortunately, we don't get to ask them those questions. Somebody no. else makes that decision. And the guy who's making that decision is in the business of selling new cars. Sure. And nothing drives people to a new car faster than a big repair. Big, big repair bill. So exactly. that's kind of all factored in there on the newer cars. And I like to take the maintenance record, mm-hmm. the maintenance application, right. and use the severe maintenance. Right. Go to severe. Don't, don't use the normal. You're going to be a little closer to what you want to reality. Do. I see the clock. We're just about out of time here. We're going to start winding on up. Get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to your free rebroadcast service right. and give us a written rating if yeah. available. Give us a written review. That'll move us up so more folks can hear us and we can keep doing the show. Appreciate people's opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.